0: Welcome to Take Fucking Risks, the podcast for people who actually give a shit.
1: Yep, we're the podcast for the rule breakers, the outcasts and the people who aren't afraid to take a fucking risk.
0: In today's podcast, we are joined by the incredible Dr. Adriana Murray. She is one of the 100 astronaut candidates who has a one-way ticket to Mars. She's hoping to move within the next decade, and if that's not taking a risk, then I don't know what the fuck is.
1: With an MSc in quantum cryptology, well, not even I don't know what the fuck that is, and a PhD in quantum biology, she loves a quantum. We're going to hear all about Adriana's career, the risk she's taken, and her plans to move to Mars.
0: Welcome, Dr. Adriana Murray. Welcome.
1: Oh. wait. Wait. Cheers. Cheers. cheers.
0: cheers. And cheers to you, Adriana. Yes.
1: I do like it when you can, you can like sort of co drink across time zones.
0: Yeah, completely. Okay. So I'll jump straight in. So, Adriana, when are you actually expected to leave for Mars? Because we are just, we were desperate to get you on the podcast before you left. I don't know if it's next week or if it's in a decade. Give me a bit of
2: background. So that's a question a lot of people have, and uh, that's the 10 to $100 billion question, um, if you want to look at it in terms of budget for getting this thing off the ground. Um, we have no idea. This is the grandest adventure that not only humans, but any living organism has ever planned in the history of life on Earth, in my opinion. Um, there's so many pieces to be put together uh, that we are hoping and believing that a decade could be um, the right amount of time to get, to get this thing done. Uh, in terms of real dates, you know, SpaceX is planning to launch the kind of architecture for transport for crew to Mars in 2022. So that's really the date to watch
1: currently.
0: 2022.
1: Yeah. How, I mean, how long does it, t- I mean, so it takes a decade. Is that because it takes a decade to plan or is that the technology takes that long to develop? Uh, the cash takes that long to raise? I mean, what is it that takes so long?
2: Well, looking at um, some of the projects here, like building new roads that take on the order of decades, I think yeah. a decade is quite <laughs> <through big. that. laughs> depending who you ask. Yeah. So the technology exists pretty much. I mean, we've been launching cargo in the form of rovers and landers to Mars since the 70s, of course. The only difference with the crewed mission is that it's going to be more than an order of magnitude more mass. So, whereas the Curiosity rover um, sort of mission would have been around two tons, what we're looking at for crew is around at least 20 tons. So, in that sense, we need a sort of different transport architecture um, to transport this kind of mass across the sort of 200 million kilometer journey to mars um so the landing gear would need to be sophisticated somewhat and that whole process sort of up- upgraded for the crew that would be inside uh but otherwise no the technology exists we don't need a quantum computer we don't need an electromagnetic propulsion system we're going to do it the old-fashioned way uh burning rocket fuel and um, launching uh, perhaps as few as four and perhaps as many as a hundred people uh, for the first
1: time from earth to a new world on planet mars fuck sorry four people you'd have to really like them. I mean, what if you had like an argument? You can't like walk off, can you? I mean, or maybe you can.
0: Well, is it true that they test you for that? So they test you physically, obviously, and then also mentally to just see if you could mentally deal with those sorts of challenges?
2: Yeah, I mean, so calling ourselves astronaut candidates as the finalists with the Mars One project is maybe the wrong term, actually, because we only spend six months of the journey en route to mars in space then we land on a planet and then we're just like any other any other human pioneer in history ah. we arrive in a new environment we try to establish agriculture and we try to survive amongst all of the complexities of establishing a new legal system dealing with people we do and don't like um, etc <laughs> Wow. So so training training for Mars is kind of a difficult thing to define, you know. There are no experts on, on how to live on another planet. And certainly, historically, pioneers have not trained. They've been convicts or refugees or, or explorers with um, some vision of the future. And they've stepped on boats and headed off to the horizon. So we plan to do as much training as possible, uh, prepare as much as possible. But in the end, it's really the unknown that we uh, are facing. And we're going to have to come up with all sorts of New uh, ways of dealing with the circumstances we didn't predict, um,
1: compared to what we may yeah. plan for. What's 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 the what's the appeal? Talk me through the uh, the appeal for going to Mars.
2: I mean, now that I've uh, volunteered, anyway, since age four, I've been planning to go live on another planet, so that's that's not new. But Mars, in particular, now that I've volunteered to go, I really can't think of any other. Project or ambition or, or or goal to throw my energy behind because this is really, uh, you know, adjectives <laughs> adjectives escape one trying to describe what this would mean, what this would mean for humanity to to really imagine that humans are living on another planet looking down at our planet, just in terms of the perspective shift in terms of the. You know, stretching of the imagination in terms of the blowing of your mind. Like, there really is nothing that compares to this uh, adventure, which I'm super excited to have been born in the midst of.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I could
2: have been born in any era, and I always wished I'd been an Egyptian queen or a Viking warrior or something more interesting than the kind of 80s and 90s era that I was born into and grew up in. But now I realize this is by far the most exciting era that humanity has ever um, seen. And uh, we're going to get to watch it, whether, you know, from the rocket or from the couch. Um, We're all going to share in this because we have a global communication system. And this is really going to be a project for all of humanity
1: um, to celebrate together, I believe. What if you you don't like it? You've been thinking about this since (laughs) you were four. What if you get there and you're like, oh, this is a bit (laughs) shit, actually. This is not what I had in mind. I prefer blue. (laughs) blue. (laughs) Yeah, like what happens if you don't like it?
2: Well, I think I'm the kind of traveler that no matter what kind of a shitty hotel I end up in or what kind of part of the world that I didn't expect, um, I always love it. Um, It's new. It's exciting. If it's difficult to find food or difficult to, you know, now I'm talking about travel on earth, um, difficult to find a beer, which sometimes happens. These are things that I take on as challenges. And like, so I've always been on the move. I love traveling. There are very few places that I don't like. Uh, The more crazy, the better. So I think Mars is the perfect fit. Yeah. Amazing.
0: Does moving to Mars, does it even feel like a risk
2: to you? No, I mean some people say, are you crazy to take this risk and I think it's even more crazy. To stay on Earth, continue living the way we've been living, and think that this is going to be sustainable miraculously going forward, it is not. Like we need, we need the crazy people to to step out right now and provide us with alternatives about how to see the future and how to work towards a different future. Because I don't think we like to admit it, but uh, our current trajectory is not sustainable. If we listen to the the World Economic Forum, if we listen to the climate studies coming out now, our um, Resource management has, has not been ideal. And as the population explodes, it's going to become more and more of an issue. And uh, our resource consumption is going to have more and more of an impact on the planet. And I'm not saying Mars is going to be some kind of backup option for Earth. No, Mars is just going to demonstrate what is possible when we put our imaginations and our minds to it and use science and technology to, to do the improbable to achieve the seemingly impossible. And I think that's the message that people really need right now.
1: So you see it as a bit of a reset, so you can, you, you know, if you've got like a blank, a blank canvas uh, with all of the things that we already know and all the technology that we currently have, you go, what can we do with the stuff that we have available to us today?
2: Exactly, and, and what can we do if we do away with all of the, the sort of legacy systems, you know, the kind of things you see around you in your day-to-day life and you're like, that doesn't make sense, why do we do it that way? Um, and it's just because historically that's the way it's been done and it's too expensive to change the system. Whereas on Mars, we'll have the opportunity to, to, yes, as you exactly say, like with a fresh canvas, to to paint a picture of the kind of, you know, from the political system to whether or not we'll have money to how we're going to provide food and education for the people there. We get the unique opportunity to really start from scratch, which uh, in this global environment on Earth is really just not possible.
1: So why, why Mars? Why not go further? I mean, you're a bit, a bit of a pussy really aren't you I mean uh-huh. honestly she should <laughs> go a bit further
2: now now you uh yeah so normally it's the 10 year olds you think really big so well done for that that's a compliment Paul does have the mental <laughs> um the brain of a 10 year old that's a compliment <laughs> yeah. sometimes I think we're at our most intelligent when we tend um, yeah. yeah yeah no I mean that's Typically the kids the questions I get from kids like, I wanna go to Enceladus or I wanna go to, you know, some or other moon of some other planet that's further away. And just like Cape Town was a halfway refueling station for european missions to go east for trade basically um so will mars be a refueling station to go even further so mars based on mars is what we really need um in order to travel further uh, we'll build yeah the halfway stop for whatever planet you want to go to mm.
0: yeah it's like a stepping stone it's like a yeah. hopscotch stepping stone
2: <laughs> Hopscotch. Playing
0: hopscotch to another planet <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so you've been you've been mad on uh, traveling and exploring since you were four. But what have you been doing in between? I mean, obviously, you've been doing some traveling and stuff. But you know, you're like a <laughs> super whiz, like physicist, and like you know, what have you been? You know, what have you been doing? How have you got to this point?
2: Yeah, so um, so I wanted to be an astronaut, but also a farmer or a veterinarian or a. Teacher or a writer, and all sorts of things like kids do. Astronaut is somehow my favourite, though. and <laughs> Coming out of high school, I thought uh, I still wanted to do that. So I did theoretical physics um, because we don't have an aeronautical engineering program in South Africa. We don't, of course, have access to an astronaut program at all uh, as an Afri- as a citizen of every any African country. So that we hope to change going forward. So I did physics. I sort of uh, became really fascinated with quantum physics. It felt like that part of science which wasn't complete and therefore that part of science that maybe I could contribute to in terms of understanding why, you know, quantum particles behave so weirdly um, and things like that. So then I got involved in quantum biology, which was looking at life on a very small scale, like the electrons, the molecules, the atoms that contribute to what we would call the living of some system. And then that line of research actually took me back to space, funnily enough. So Mm. sort of like when you... When you have some kind of destiny or some kind of dream when you 're young, often often even though it feels like you 've left that path, you might come back to it later, which which I did with quantum astrobiology, so trying to find clues as to how life may have emerged on earth or what like other life living systems might look like we need for that we need to investigate beyond Earth, so astrobiology is you know the investigation of of potential life or even human life, the investigation of the effects of space on that. So then I heard about the Mars One project, um, volunteered, of course. It felt like my my dream had sort of come into fruition when I read that um, newspaper headline saying call for volunteers for one-way trip. I was super excited that it was a one-way trip because I knew this would reduce the competition significantly. And this was just (laughs) just the thing for me. (laughs) Yeah,
1: outthink the competition. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um, in the meantime, then, through my public speaking, I gave a lot of talks at, at schools, at businesses, um, universities, all sorts of institutions. And then SAP Africa offered me the position as head of innovation. Um, so then I sort of went off slightly from the research aspect of things, thinking more about like emerging technologies and how um, they can be applied to contribute to solving the kind of challenges we face, in particular, on the African continent, Um, And now, yeah, I look at uh, the future mission on Mars as really a a perfect uh, combination of all of the skills I have, whether it's looking at emerging technologies used in novel ways in extreme environments to looking for evidence of life, which uh, after studying quantum biology, theoretically, I think it's going to be easier to put on a suit and go look for life on the surface of Mars than to try and imagine how it may have emerged. Um, This is really an impossible question to ask and or
1: answer from, from Earth alone. So, yeah, it's all worked out perfectly, really. <laughs> so I, uh, Cookie's going to laugh now, but I, I recently moved to France. Uh, so I split my time <laughs> between France and, and London. And I, I moved to France to get a bit of fresh perspective. So do you think you're going to be, like, more creative and be able to think more clearly? Yeah. Is that something that you're interested in? Is, it, is that something you're expecting to get, like a fresh perspective?
2: Yeah, totally. That's, that's exactly the point, I think. And then there's this term you could call, like, uh, exploration-driven innovation, Um, which is basically like getting out of your comfort zone always forces you to think differently, to solve new challenges, which uh, improves your knowledge and uh, grows you as a person basically. And that doesn't have to mean like physically moving somewhere else. It could be just having new conversations or uh, diversifying your teams or however you want to interpret that. For me, it's a literal (laughs) um, interpretation of, of really physically moving to a completely new place, dealing with the challenges that arise there and therefore, yeah, coming to a new understanding of our place in the universe, Uh, only from two planets at that point. So um, I would still like to go further, as you've mentioned. Um, But I I think understanding who we are and where we come from uh, involves, you know, investigating the reality we find around us. And that includes the planets in the solar system.
0: I'm just wondering when, obviously, I see a lot of space films and that sort of thing. I know that's not the way it actually works but when you are on mars how quick is the contact with earth like how if you were in trouble how fast could you or you uh, know if you when had, can
1: the police turn up
0: basically yeah <laughs> break up a fight <laughs> uh, we're pub. down
1: the pub and it's getting a bit it's getting a bit fucking fractious <laughs> around here yeah someone's just throwing some punches so you need to call call, call the, the police call <laughs> how, how long are they going to take to turn up
2: Ooh. Well, so the call itself would take um, between 3 and 21 minutes. So let's call it uh, 10 minutes on average to travel at the speed of light Sure. Uh, then let's say it takes um, some time to prepare a launch uh, if you watch the Martian if you do international collaboration with different countries maybe you can find a launch that's happening soon as it happens in the movie mm-hmm. if not it could take years to prepare a launch um, then that launch or the, the crew inside there would travel for around 6 months before arriving so sustainability is definitely going to be key You know, communication with a 10 minute delay is doable, software updates um, counseling, you know, instruction on how to do something, fine. But for physical for physical deliveries, uh, you're looking at more than six months. That's just the travel time. Yeah. So things like things like 3D printing then become um, extremely crucial pieces of technology to be able to imagine living so far away from home base Earth. Initially, to develop industry, you know, bringing a three D printer that can print uh, electronic circuit boards, for example, Mm -hmm. really changes the game significantly.
1: Yeah. What What um, What happens if somebody else gets there first? What (laughs) happens if, uh, like, you know, someone from a different planet? Decides they want to move to Mars And they're like They get there first They're like no mate Like our flag's here
0: Okay so say if NASA's Looking down their telescope And they see some wiggly green people Walking about on Mars Then I think there's going to be A little bit more
1: concern Well Or or what happens if somebody else Turns up when you're there That may have happened already We don't know whether We're receiving the full story As the public often I think Oh yeah A bit of conspiracy
2: theory Mm. (laughs) Also Also we don't Even at NASA Even at ESA Even at any space agency We don't of course Have a full picture Of what is happening on Mars, so the surface of Mars yeah, we could say since the 70s and even before that with the earth-based, ground-based observations we've been looking at the surface since the 70s we've been landing stuff on the surface Um, so maybe we could say the surface appears to be in the public domain knowledge are uh, free of things that look like they are alive. But what we really don't know is what's below the surface. Yeah. And, the, and the NASA, the NASA insight mission that landed last year was the eighth successful time we've landed something on Mars or credited to NASA um, successful landings at this point. But so insight is a lander that is going to investigate below the surface to try and figure out what the composition is, uh, what happened to the magnetic field in terms of the core dynamics having stopped at some point and stopped generating this magnetic. Magnetic field that protects the atmosphere and so on, so these are the kinds of questions but uh, if there were living things on Mars as far as we understand in terms of proteins and things like that, the radiation on the surface uh, denatures proteins at that level so Mm -hmm. if any life is there and it's similar to life that we understand it may be be living below the surface, so that could well turn out to be the case
1: (laughs) Wow There could be something under there under the
2: surface. In that case, personally, I'm happy that it's um, an international project like Mars One that may be involved in the first landing rather than a single nation um, because yeah. what, what we don't want to do is, you know, copy-paste the policy of Earth onto Mars and see the, the endings to so many sci-fi movies that we've seen end badly for humans to be the case. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. I didn't even know that was a possibility. That's crazy. There could be
1: something living under there. We don't yeah. know. That would be cool. What are
0: those animals, little mammals that, like, burrow underground and they have
1: marmots or the little what the like the what's the meerkats maybe it's meerkats
0: meerkats live underground don't maybe they? sound
1: like dickheads now like what do you reckon be on there like yeah. a mars version of meerkats a
0: mars meerkat
1: a mars meerkat
2: <laughs> mars marmot Me-
1: meerkats we love we have a telescope here called the meerkats uh. yeah <laughs> so you won't be able to just walk around i was reading up about it and um it doesn't sound very hospitable i can walk out the door uh here on earth and that you know i'm cool you know, I'm not going to sort of die of radiation or anything like that. I might get knocked over by a car, but you, you can't just go for a walk. Uh, you know, it's it's quite prohibitive life. Sometimes when I'm in London, I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, it's a lot of knobheads here. It's not that so great. So true. That's why I moved.
0: Yeah, no fresh air in London, I tell you. Well, just the, just <laughs> yeah. the cold is what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. At least it wouldn't rain on Mars. Yeah,
2: no. It? That so uh, temperature temperatures very low, um, but not not uh, unfathomable in terms of populations on Earth living through similar conditions in winter. So, on average, it's around negative sixty degrees Celsius, which is a bit on the chilly side, even compared to London. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> but doable. If you have solar power, you can warm the place up. Um, the real issue, I guess, is the atmosphere, which is 96% carbon dioxide. Also, the pressure is the extremely low. So even if there were oxygen in the atmosphere, it still would be a, at a too low pressure to breathe. So that's your real issue. You would need to wear a, a helmet with a breathing ventilation system on it um, to be walking around on the surface of Mars. Um, even if it was a warm day, which it can be warm and go up to like 20.
0: Oh, wow big difference oh, right. yeah.
2: yeah put your
1: shorts on
0: somewhere on Mars <laughs> <laughs> get a tan on the go
2: yeah what do
0: you think you would miss the most about Earth
1: our podcast, yeah, obviously. Of course.
0: <laughs> besides, besides
2: that, yeah. champagne. Champagne. Besides yeah. A, yeah, a good bottle of wine. Th-
1: so the third thing on the list you would miss would be? Um, yeah.
2: I think the busyness and not the business. I certainly wouldn't much ma- miss much about the business, but the busyness. Yeah, I think being, being able to look around and just see activities going on, whether it's a group of ants you know, carrying away some piece of food or whether it's birds in the sky or whether it's people or traffic. Just the activity that's on Earth is really not the case on any other planet that we know of. And I mean, this leads me to be absolutely you know, befuddled by by people who believe life only exists on Earth, but then they also don't really commit themselves properly to the kind of respect for life on Earth that I think we need to inculcate in society to go forward. Um, respect for our jungles that cycle our carbon, you know, respect for all the ocean creatures that regulate so many things. Yeah. Respect for each other. Um <laughs> So I think uh, Earth is bustling with life, which has sometimes led us to... You know have some kind of disdain for life because there's just so much of it around but this is really a stark contrast with with what we think we'll find on Mars which is no life at all except the life that we bring with us
0: completely that, that kind of links to I found this really awesome caption on your Instagram um that I want to delve into a little bit further but it says treat every human as the precious resource of life that they are irrespective of gender race culture or background live with pride and treat others with respect I couldn't agree with that more I think it's Bob on nice. do you want to delve into that a little bit
2: further yeah I mean I I was surprised when i started using the hashtag proudly human and some people thought i said partly human i was like, like proud <laughs> proudly <human. laughs> yeah. but then it, yeah. it wasn't really frequently used There were like one or two other people who'd used it literally once in the last sort of five years and uh, this was not a hashtag people were using and then i even had uh feedback from some audiences saying it maybe wasn't appropriate to consider a, a, being human something to be proud of and i was just flabbergasted i mean If we're not proud of at least what we, how we see ourselves, you know, maybe our actions aren't perfect, but if we don't have some hope as to what we can possibly achieve as humanity, if we don't have some sense of pride in like where we've come from and where we could potentially go, then I really don't see any point whatsoever. Um, But I do see a point and I do think we've got a lot of things to be proud of as humans. um, I think we just need to emphasize some aspects more than others and there is a bright future ahead for us and Mm -hmm. I think we have to, you know, a sense of pride is absolutely crucial. I think a sense of self-pride sort of, and pride I don't mean as an arrogance, I mean just a sense of self-worth, you know, actually comes before we can respect others and respect other life forms and have respect for what's going on around us, is to have the sense of um
1: Self worth, basically. Yeah,
2: yeah. definitely. <laughs> uh,
1: will they be able to? Will be able to take champagne?
2: Well, funny you ask. Um, so, my family, or at least on my one quarter of my descendants, were French Huguenot refugees who came from France to Cape Town in 1688, and they were they were brought along by the Dutch as agriculturalists, and they happened to bring some grape seeds with them. So, amongst the earliest vineyards established in the Cape in South Africa in the 1680s was a place de Mil, which unfortunately I have no longer any official ties to, but you can still buy the wine. Oh, <laughs> so this is oh part man. of my heritage. So in fact, I've been around to chat to several winemakers about the possibility of making wine on Mars. And we both agreed that we enjoy good wine and that probably beer would be a lot easier <laughs> to get right. Main, mainly, mainly because of the oak <laughs> barrel. So basically the tree takes decades to grow. South Africa doesn't even grow their own oak because the cold climates, whatever, in, in either Canada or France or make better oak. Um, and the oak barrel itself weighs a few hundred kilograms, so it's going to be a, a tough um, <laughs> motivation to, to bring along a few, a few oak barrels to you know, add to the flavor of the wine. <laughs> so, so beer might be a, a second best uh, option. But we'll we'll try it Yeah. Getting pissed on
1: Mars. That'd be great.
2: That is one <laughs> hell of a story, isn't yeah. it?
1: Oh, mate, I woke up with a massive hangover today. Where's your way at? Mars.
0: That's the problem, though, because <laughs> everybody else that you're telling that story to will also be on Mars. Yeah. So it's not that novel. feel so you... <laughs> yeah, like you
1: send a, you send a uh, I don't know, like a telegram. Send back. a fax
0: to your, <laughs> fax, to, to your friends. <laughs> back
1: to your friends. Yeah, there we go. Something to look forward to.
0: Yeah. <laughs> First drink on Mars. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: You have said, I think it was on your website, you've said that you believe that we are living in a very unique point in history. What what do you mean by that, and what has that got to do with you leaving?
2: Well, we we develop the technology to potentially destroy ourselves, but uh, with the same technology, we actually have the hope of of not destroying ourselves in a natural. I think that's that's the era where we live. So we sit in this kind of cusp of you know potentially using this technology that we've developed to create really a better future. Or, on the other hand, we really run the risk of making it very difficult for ourselves to sustain ourselves, at least in the current, current way in which we live. So this is why it's interesting, I think. Um, the fact that we're having a global impact on the climate um, is really a unique moment in history for, for any organism. So there, there was an event, um, or there have been several events in the past that could be perhaps compared to this. Two billion years ago, photosynthetic bacteria finally uh, evolved the capability to split water and began to emit oxygen. So before around two billion years ago, there was no, I mean, only trace amounts of oxygen in the atmosphere. So this is huge in terms of global climate change. You know, there was no oxygen. Now there's an organism that's producing a lot of it to the extent that we have the current oxygen levels we have today. This caused a huge extinction event. Many species were unable to deal with this new oxygenic atmosphere and went extinct as a result. And um, what we saw coming out of that was complex life. So before that, multicellular organisms were not as prevalent because this oxygen is a, like double-edged sword. It can be extremely reactive and destroy cells, but it can also be harnessed in the way that we do by breathing it continuously so bacteria didn't know what they were doing perhaps one may argue um they just evolved the capability to emit oxygen on the other hand we do we are we have internet you know there's no excuse for not being aware of what we're doing and we continue to sort of modify the climate on on a similarly global scale so it may be us that <laughs> turns out to be one of the species that goes extinct as a result of this massive change of the global environment but i believe the same technologies that have landed us in this problem also the tools with which we can you know come out of this um, in a way that we can hopefully be proud of so this is why it's a fascinating era i mean it's it's really like a wait and see for the next 10 years and how things or let's say a few decades and how things turn out hmm.
1: it's interesting isn't it because you talk so confidently about what you're going to do and what it's going to be like but there are loads of unknowns i imagine and talking to you that that's part of the appeal what is it, you know, what is it about the unknown that you love?
0: Because I, me personally, I find the unknown terrifying and I will do my best to not put myself in a situation that I don't know
2: the outcome of.
1: mm that's different characters, isn't it? Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally.
2: Yeah, I think it's personality types and we certainly need them all. I mean, if everybody were crazily going off to the horizon to see what was there, nobody would be, you know, holding down the fort <laughs> for when some of those people come back and say there's nothing interesting there. <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> we, need, we need all types of personalities for sure. Uh, thinking about mine... I just think I love a challenge, you know, I love the exhilaration of wondering whether or not I'm going to figure it out. Maybe that's why I sort of studied physics and love driving fast cars and doing things where I'm like operating at the edge of my abilities, um, where I'm not even sure if if I'm going to be able to successfully navigate whatever I'm doing. But then I do. And you know, like one one success leads to more confidence in navigating these kind of scenarios to the extent where boldly or stupidly, I really believe that I'm (laughs) well equipped to survive on Mars. Um, so you definitely need that kind of attitude to really step that far out of your comfort zone to begin with and then I suppose it's a matter of can you sustain that belief for long enough to be a leader or or part of a team try to convince other people that this is the case because there's certainly going to be highs and lows I mean huge highs and huge lows um, on this mission so the way that people deal with their own mental states and the way that they have the capability to sort of influence other people's mental states is going to be hugely important in terms of you know motivation and yeah you know making jokes i guess and just keeping keeping the morale yeah. <laughs> where it needs to be
1: maybe like a comedian would be a really good person to take along definitely somebody that you know can just drop a joke yeah. lighten the mood
0: oh the water's gone way <laughs> don't worry about it it's fine
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We actually do have at least one comedian amongst the the hundred uh, finalists of the Mars One project. Amazing!
0: Mm. I was going to ask that when you go. Do you have designated roles? Like, so is there a doc? Well, obviously there's a doctor. Is there like the person who's going to be the mayor, like the leader? Is there the person that's going to be the comedian? The is there a dentist? The the creative, the the, whatever. Who's going to create the advertising? (laughs) Who's going to make the advertising? Mellor and Smith.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, like, how does it how does it break down?
2: I mean in the beginning the roles will be narrowed down to what's necessary for survival I would I would suppose um in terms of the number of people at mm. least but then it becomes essential to be a multifaceted person. So if you're a, a electrical engineer and also a yoga instructor, perfect. If you're a, if, you know, a physicist uh, with training in various sort of whatever environments and also a comedian, fantastic. So I think these are the kind of people that we hope to have amongst the, the first crews, multi, multi talented or people with a lot of training in, in different areas just to keep the head count down because we can't be taking a thousand people in the first trip. So. Of course, the equipment needs to be maintained. Mm. Um, things like ventilation systems, water systems, food systems. So we need experts in those. But then, let's say everything's up and running, then you might very quickly have a situation where you're in desperate need of people, like uh, from psychiatrists to counsellors, you know, with all sort of in between
1: skills. Wine, wine um, grows.
2: Yeah, vineyard owners. <laughs> yeah, they're,
1: they're, you know, like crucial, a, a brewer.
2: <laughs> a DJ for Friday Night a DJ <laughs> Friday Night Cocktails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think the, the kind of people who can do all of these things or, or more than one of these things at the same time um, would be the ideally suited people. Also, just to be rounded to the personality types. Mm. People are going to need to you know, do more than one, pro- more projects than they expected when things go wrong. Uh, take over from other people when they may be sick or injured or whatever the case may be. So I think flexibility and maybe a slightly different personality type from the kind of astronaut um, personality type that's required for the space station. Maybe what we're looking for on Mars. Maybe more like a return to the Mercury, the very first sort of astronauts who are trying to break the sound barrier and leave, you know, some number of kilometers above the Earth's surface for the first time these kind of daredevils, um, you know, break the protocol and they can quickly make new decisions without a problem. Um, People who enjoy risks and enjoy things going wrong because they have the opportunity to then come up with new solutions. So slightly different personality types, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, we as Take Fucking Risks, we believe that people should, you know, push out of their comfort zones, go against the grain and challenge the status quo as often as possible. Sounds like you kind of agree with that mentality.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've got nothing to lose, you know, I don't need to say YOLO, but it's true. <laughs> as far as we know, at least, um, we've got limited time in this reality that we find ourselves in. And um, Yes, we need, we need people to be reasonable, but we also need people to take calculated risks and we need mm-hmm. people to do more of that because a lot more is at stake than may have been, you know, a few hundred years ago, if I may say. I feel that now you know, the, the stakes are even higher than ever before in human history because we've got so much capability, you know, that can be used for good or bad. So I feel like now is more of a time than ever to really assess what are we doing with our lives? And how are we contributing? How are we helping? How are we creating some kind of future um, that we envisage? Because just, you know, floating on downstream with the going with the flow kind of attitude is, is really not going to get us to where we need to go um, in this current era.
1: Fuck it, I'm off. I want to go. <laughs> Take him with you, please. Yeah.
0: Yes, <laughs> more
2: converts. Uh,
1: how, how do I sign up? Where do I go? <laughs> Just give us a
2: few months to set up a brewery. Yeah, You would suit being the brewery guy, <laughs> yeah. the brewer okay. on Mars.
1: <laughs> That'd be awesome. That's a great job.
0: It's good LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, I'll endorse you <laughs> on yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I reckon there'd be no LinkedIn on Mars. I can I hope not. Fuck like Fucking.
2: Well, well, we'll, have, we'll have internet, so who knows? I guess people will be free yeah. to use whatever whatever apps they
1: want. How does? I mean, obviously, there's a hundred people, and the, all the selections have been done, so you can't get on the first ship. How do you get on the next one? I mean, what what's the what's the process?
2: Well, so the solid facts, as we have them, is are that um, Mars One is currently the only entity globally looking at the training and selection of crew for a potential mission to Mars. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have criticized Mars One for various reasons, but this is the fact they 're the only entity currently looking into that as far as I know so for those of us who volunteered, you know maybe we have a broader idea of how this may or may not happen, and you know we hope that Mars one uh, makes it through the financial issues that they're facing on an ongoing basis. Um, but I think this is really a huge project. It's like a global project that all humans in some way or another will contribute to, whether as just an observer or as an active participant. So, so that much is kind of up in the air. You know, another entity could pop up that's also training and, and uh, crew. So your chances are not are not yet limited in terms of who goes on the first trip. Who, what is the first trip going to be? I mean, currently SpaceX is the only company globally building a transport system for crew to get to Mars. Yeah, And this takes a particular type of vision because it's not going to be profitable. So take any billionaire, take any billionaire-funded startup or, or larger thing, uh, aerospace company, and something that's not profitable is probably not going to be on their top priority. So it's taken Elon Musk, a uh, South African-born Elon Musk, we're proud to say, even though he's now a US citizen. And Canadian citizen it took his kind of vision to actually say in spite of the profitability not coming from Mars itself SpaceX is profitable for other reasons and we're going to use that to fund this trip you know to fund the creation of the transport system to take crews to Mars so the real question is how is SpaceX going to allocate seats on the transport system once it's developed um, and that is something I haven't been able to get an answer out of, out of any of the SpaceX engineers I've talked to because they are, you know, all systems go yeah. trying to develop the transport system. They're an engineering company, not a sort of crew training and selection company, yeah. at, at least currently. So that's the real question. How is SpaceX going to allocate the tickets on the first uh, or second or 10th trip? I suppose
0: they don't care at the moment. They just want to build build the vehicle.
2: True, I guess by building the transport, you do hope that something sustainable happens on Mars so the richest people on the planet are not necessarily or maybe certainly not going to be the right people to do the kind of legwork necessary to establish a base on yeah. the surface of Mars. Yeah, yeah. You know, astronauts, I've spoken to a few astronauts whenever I get the chance to, whether whichever space agency they're from, and not a single one has voiced any real enthusiasm for going on a one-way trip to Mars. <laughs> like, these are, these are, you know, hugely inspirational, amazing people, highly qualified in their fields who've worked really hard to get to where they are and do amazing things for promoting, you know, science and technology for the public. Yeah. But these are not people who are maybe, like, crazy enough, can I say, to to volunteer. <laughs> Hard work to go on a one-way trip to Mars. They're interested you
1: know. in return tickets. Yes.
2: Yeah. So, so I don't, I don't see it being government astronauts either. So then the question remains: I mean, who will these tickets be allocated to, and how will that be decided?
0: But you'll be front of the line either way, waving your arms about. Pick me. At least, if me. being a South African, council
2: coming, I'm going to, I'm going to use any, any card or angle I can get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
1: Sounds amazing. Mm. I'm really, really glad that we caught up and and found out a bit more about what you, you know, kind of how you uh, just view risk and how you kind of want to grab it by you know grab it by the horns and 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 run with opportunities
0: Mm, i think it's fascinating like your mentality and yeah like you said the way you feel about risk is is amazing really
1: yeah it's refreshing yeah it is i think it's great um what other big things have you got coming up other than going to mars in like the next few years what else have you got coming up over the next i don't know let's let's go small next Mm. few months What's, Mm. what's what's big in the next few months
2: Perfect. I'm glad you asked. In the absence of any actual Mars One training, um, since I applied in 2013, um, I'm part of the Foundation for Space Development South Africa. And as director of the foundation and with a team of co-organizers, we are planning a off-world settlement research experiment in Antarctica in the winter of 2020. So during the winter, there's 100 plus kilometer per hour winds that race through Antarctica. There's no sunshine, um, no daylight, let's say, um, for some significant portion of the winter. And we'll be staying there for eight months with no option of leaving. We'll be staying there with a team of between 10 and 20. The details have yet to be uh, finalized with partners that uh, we are currently in discussion with. Getting this documented, we see the engineering side of things is crucial. You know, what kind of equipment can sustain, our, can sustain our lives in such a harsh environment for eight months? What kind of research will be done there while we're there? What kind of food production, water management systems, etc., cetera, um, can be implemented? You know, what kind of energy sources will we be looking at? And also, how will this group of people survive as a community? What kind of personal interactions are going to emerge in this? How many babies are going to
1: get made? I mean, wow, if there's like no daylight. <laughs> like there's no daylight. Eight months, eight months. <laughs> yeah. Day one. Well, there's nothing to do, is there? Yeah. It's just fucking dark. What are you going
2: to do to pass the time? <laughs> Think about it. Well,
1: let's crack on.
2: At least, it's not ni- at least it's not more than nine months. So
0: we'll
1: <laughs> have a genuine little class. baby on the way back.
0: <laughs> I mean, wow, that's incredible. And it's amazing practice as well for... You said it's going to be t- uh, ten to twenty people. Yes, we were talking about the close proximity with other people. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, you for
1: don't need Tinder. Months. You don't need Tinder for that, do you?
0: What if you don't like any of them, though? <laughs> yeah, You're This
2: is the perfect opportunity to find out if you don't like it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. If we do survive Antarctica, it's also no indication that Mars is now a piece of cake. So yeah. it's just one way in which we can sort of estimate. What kind of backgrounds what kind of personalities may or may not get on well in such a isolated confined wow. extreme environment and we hope to get apl- applicants from all around the world and we hope that some of them would be making beer or djing on a friday night so we're not we're not going to be a purely scientific endeavor paul's right in his yeah. application right now yeah
1: scientists can have fun <laughs> yeah.
2: okay. we're going to open applications for that in the next couple of months Um, we've just got to finalize our partnership agreements um but on my website or on twitter or
1: just by Googling Adriana Mare. Yeah, what are your, what's the website and what's your Twitter?
2: Uh, my website's adrianamare.org mm-hmm. and Twitter at Adriana Mare, Instagram at Adriana double underscore Mare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to try to extend the invitation for applications uh, as far and as wide as we can to get a diverse group of, of people with uh, crazy and extraordinary and uh, sciencey and techy ideas of how to contribute to this community. And it'll all be on film so if that's not your cup of tea um we hope that it would be turned into a documentary series afterwards amazing yeah. well we'll push it definitely
1: yeah my wife would kick my ass if i uh, <laughs> yeah, if i signed it. up to it <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. right i uh, i've really really enjoyed it
0: yeah thank you so much for chatting to us adriana yeah it's yes. been a great chat my pleasure how uh, how far down the bottle are you now
1: Like in terms of Uh, drinking, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) what what does that
0: mean? The bottle of champagne, sorry. (laughs)
2: Context is a big thing, apparently. Just pouring another glass now, but well, I got about halfway. Fabulous. That was was pretty poor form, but you guys are (laughs) well done. You guys asked a lot of questions. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thirsty.
0: Going to neck the other half of the bottle right now. (laughs) Yeah, celebration. Thanks so much, Adriana. It's been such
2: a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Cheers. Good to speak to you. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Au revoir. <laughs> Roaming in the zone of the microphone. That's me. I'm like Beastie Boys. I hate it. <laughs> I would say it's not Beastie Boys. I think it's. It is Beastie Boys, isn't it? One of them's dead. <laughs> what, one of them is dead. Thanks, Marty, sound man <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, while you're here, fucking raters, five stars, obviously. Yep. Reviewers, yep. Say we're amazing.
0: And throw in a subscribe as well if and you feel like it. Yeah.
1: Like, get onto it. Yeah. Peace.
0: You'll make our day. Make Love our... you. <laughs> Love you. Bye. <laughs>